New Dissident Radio. Keep your distance. What? Fuck, no. That's wrong. Shit. I totally fucked it up. I'm gonna do it again. New Dissident Radio. Keep your dissidence. Hey, I did it. Fuck me. This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream.
I like to get every little last note out mm. of it. You know, yeah, you know, how, like DJs, they cut it off. It's like, no, I want to hear that. I mean, if they put it on the track, they wanted it there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so I'm so in love with this new song. Someone found it for me on Twitter. Uh, hold on, I think his name is Whiplash. I want to mention him. Uh, Whiplash something or other. God damn, I'll find it here. And he, like his kid found this song for me. It was so cool. And he's like, oh, you got to hear this. And then I couldn't find the artist anywhere. And then he found him for me. Um, I've just got amazing people who are supporting me on my path. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, this is Admiral Halsey is the name of the artist. And that song is called Indian Summer. And he's got a new EP coming out in a few days called Indian Summer, which will be on the iTunes, as they say. So I'm, I want to support him as an artist. Please support him, too. And just play that song over and over again because that hook and those harmonies and everything, oh, it's just where I live. I just could be there forever. Uh, so anyway, welcome, everyone, to my last show of August uh, 25th, I think it is, 28th, 20. I don't know what the fuck day it is. It's just the late end of August, and oh, my God, it's going so quickly again. <laughs> I swear to God it was just valentine's day uh so i wanted to start the show before i introduce my fabulous guest today uh someone turned me on to this other thing this week too which is sister Corita king i don't know if you're familiar with her beth but she was a nun of in some sort of order and she taught art here in hollywood in the late 60s i'm not answering because i haven't been introduced i know so i'm just she's I'm not, not sure if i'm here, here or not here she, she's here <laughs> you can grunt uh-huh. Elegantly grunt. Ah. Oh, perfect. Yes. Uh, so uh, this woman's name is Sister Corita King. She's this amazing graphic artist and teacher. Uh, and someone turned me on to her rules. Who was it? Terry Silverman did. Uh-huh. Uh, another fabulous storyteller and teacher of story. It's very much a theme this month. Um, anyway, check out. Uh, you can Google uh, Sister Corita, C-O-R-I-T-A King, rules. And there's a bunch of rules here, but one of a couple of them I put on my Facebook page this week, one of which is nothing is a mistake. There's no win and no fail. There's only make. Okay, love that. <laughs> Beth's like, oh, I'll love it in a minute or something. Uh, and then everything is consider everything an experiment. Uh, I love that too. Um, and here's something for people who are just wanting to start out maybe in their artistic path. Maybe they want to write or do stand-up or uh, sing, whatever it is. But her first rule is find a place you trust and then try trusting it for a while. Hmm. And I, this for me was my thing. Uh, you know, last week I had Wendy Hammers on. And uh, she's a place that I found to trust in the room. I sat in her living room with my words and then on her stage and and found that place. And that leads me perfectly into my guest today, who uh, not only has certainly done that for herself, but has done that for multitudes of other people. I'm just so thrilled to have you. Uh, my guest today is is Beth Lapidus, and she's a, well, there's a million things she is. Uh, the introduction <laughs> could go on for 40 minutes, but I'm just going to hit the, the highlights here. Uh, author, comedian, teacher, activist, radio and TV host, personality, uh, the person who created Uncabaret with your partner, Greg, I believe, yes. in the early 90s, uh, which was this amazing alternative comedy show in L.A. that really birthed what they even call alternative comedy today and amazing people like 
oh, I don't know, you know, Margaret Cho, Janine Garofalo, uh, Julia Sweeney, Julia Sweeney uh, Bob Odenkirk, Patton Dana Oswalt, Gould. Dana Gould, <laughs> you know, just some of these people that you might have heard of before. They all found their trust there and their voice and their chops and had a safe place to, to play and, and to do things. She also started a spoken word event called Say the Word, which was, I think, before Sit and Spin and yes. The Moth and all those other things. And then this other thing called The Other Network, which I never knew about, which where you showed pilots that had never been seen by amazing people who were doing pilots, like Judd Apatow and people like that. You need to bring that back. That sounds like a lot of fun. They're not made as much anymore. That is very true. I mean, this was in a day when people... it networks be, were really putting money into these, but it pilots. could be fun also to do like retro ones. Yeah, um, well, we do we tour it. Yeah, okay, there you go. And then of course, uh, you also conduct classes and workshops here in LA. You have the Uncab Lab and the Comedians Way yes. workshop, which is something I went to one day and had a little fun and tried my little stand up and now singers anonymous as well and singers anonymous too yes. i love that's a great <laughs> title uh, anyway welcome back thank you thank you kelly <laughs> now you can talk oh wow <laughs> at last <laughs> your voice can be heard uh, so much to say about what's already happened but let's move forward <laughs> <laughs> yes well uh, we will. God damn it. Good. So I want to kind of go back a little bit because I have a little fa- personal fascination with the whole uncabaret thing. All right. So in the early 90s, I was just recovering from a really insane first marriage. Oh. And, um, and I'd been sober from cocaine for about five years, but I hadn't like gone out in the world yet. And I knew I had this craving in me to speak and express, mm-hmm. but my dad was George Carlin and there's right. a lot of... Uh, that's a lot of baggage a lot of baggage and a lot of big shoes and I would hear about what you were doing there Mm. and uh, was imagining what that was I I never went because I knew it was going to be like oh Oh. A I may have to do it then and I wasn't ready but I heard about it and I thought wow what a cool A chick you are and uh, and wow what an, an amazing thing to create a space for people that well, t- tell me a little bit about why okay. did you create that space? Um, well, the space, in some ways, you know, I like to think, in some ways I feel like I channeled it. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't create it. Sure. Um, I The original way it began was I was doing one of my one-person shows at a space called the Women's Building, which uh-huh. was an art space downtown L.A., and the audience was just really responsive in a way that, like, after the show, I was like, okay, it was funny, but it wasn't quite as funny as you thought it was. You know, <laughs> as a comedian, you know how funny you right, were. Right, And they, I was like, when was the last time you laughed? Mm. And they were like, we're gay, we're women, we're artists. We're very serious. We're, no, they said if they go to a comedy club, people make fun of them. <gasps> they said we can't go to a comedy club because we're humiliated there. And I said, oh, you know what? I will make a show for you. It will be unhomophobic, unmisogynist, unxenophobic. Right. And we will call it the Uncabaret. Wow. And it was born in that instant with those women who had a need uh-huh. to experience the comedy. Mm. So that was the original mm-hmm. moment of it. Then I started reaching out to comedians who at the same time were really frustrated in the comedy clubs because it was all about the tight 10, the tight 10, and get your sitcom and, right. you know, just do your tight 10. Right. Get on The Tonight Show. Get yeah. on Letterman. So right. just, so people were so, I mean, you know, people were just so frustrated with that. Their creative process was being so squashed. Mm-hmm. And I'd come from New York and, like, the whole showcasing everything as a showcase was right. kind of freaking me out. So we did, at first, that's all I knew was, like, there's frustrated comedians. There's an audience in need. We're going right. to put these two things together. I'm not 100% 
just uncomfortable in the comedy world. I'm kind of a performance artist. Right. I'm going to, I don't know. We're going to just see what happens. Right. And it was it, then they lost their funding. Then we mm. moved to highways. Then mm. I ran for first lady to make first lady an elected position. I don't know if you're familiar with that campaign. I am not. Oh, yeah. That's a good sidebar. That's we can get back to that. Fabulous. That was a big project actually. Wow. And, um, when I can't, then Luna Park, when Luna Park was opening, Jean Pierre, who I'd worked with at other places, said, Do you want to do something here? And I said, Okay, comedy, would it be funny? You know, it's always going to be funny. And he booked it for three nights and it ran for until the club closed seven years wow. later every Sunday. We took two Sundays off in December every year. <laughs> and even when I had the radio show, daily radio show, we kept going. Even when we did the TV show, we kept going. Uh-huh. It was the well mm-hmm. from which much was born. Yeah. So it seemed very scary to close the lid on the well yeah because if the well is closed what then happens, what happens? <laughs> yeah and, and because you don't want to lose momentum and continuum and i also felt sort of a responsibility to the audience because yeah. it became sort of a church-like thing sure. it was every it was on, fortuitously sunday. it was a sunday night yeah and that wasn't you know sometimes just lovely accidents happen mm-hmm. and one thing great about it was when it did you know, it started even at Luna Park very a little slowly, and people people who weren't the stand up audience at that time resisted stand up. I would be telling my friends, and they'd go, oh, I, "I hate stand up. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to stand up. Dick, right? I'm like, that's not going to be that. I swear it's gonna be funny." <laughs> and we were still like discovering what it was, and then, um, but when the industry would come, which inevitably they did, yes. they were coming in Sunday mode. Right. So even people in the industry were human. Right. Everybody was human. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's humans in the industry? Yes. <laughs> they had to take off the suits, weren't suits. Yes. So it, it, it had, that was, that mm. was a lovely uh, accident. And then what happened over the course of the beginning of the Luna, you know, we did keep forming. It was personal. It was mm. confessional. It was, mm-hmm. you know, by, by the time it landed at Luna Park, it took a little bit, but it started once audience started coming back, right? Because then people were like, "Oh, you got to come see this thing." Yep. Then it became clear, like, "Oh, then you can't." Re- because it was very famous. Like, you're not allowed to repeat anything. That was like the, <laughs> the law. They, they don't let you repeat anything. <laughs> and that's all anybody knew. You can't repeat a thing. Right, right. And that wasn't exactly the case. Right. But you could. the spirit repeat, of it. It was that you couldn't repeat something for the most part unless. You wanted to say it. You couldn't say it just because you knew it was funny. Right, right. That when I started to mm. try to articulate to people what they should be doing, mm-hmm. what we wanted, and a should is awful word to use in creativity, what we, you know, right. what the, the, invitation. Idea, the invitation was, yeah. do the material, do the performance that... Your head will explode if, you, if you're not going to do it. Yeah. And even if you don't know, if you're not 100% sure, because who, you know, comedy, you don't know, you know, yeah. it's, so we wanted people to come in with that feeling mm. of like, I've got to say this. Right. Because the audience was really super sophisticated and smart yep. and they were, one thing is that the audience is the unsung hero of the Uncabaret because the audience came with such open-mindedness. Yeah. And the audience came so ready to, ta- to watch a high-wire comedy yes. experience yeah. that there were some nights that were so funny. You, you were exhausted afterwards. Right. And people, because people weren't doing acts, yep. what happened was everybody was playing off each other. There were mm. whole nights that developed themes. Mm. People threw away what they were going to do mm. and just went off each mm. other. Beautiful. Wow. And uh, there were other nights that it was uncomfortable. Comfortable almost yeah. the whole night, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but it was always interesting well, because it wa- it wasn't uncomfortable in that way of oh god it's somebody trying to make me laugh and they're not laughing the first super uncomfortable night that i really remember was a f- the first father's day and it was all boys mm. who all had bad relationships Daddy with issues. their dads <laughs> and i saw people come up to me i was at that first father's day show <laughs> i needed therapy after that show so i didn't have daddy issues before yeah. i do now and i do now <laughs> oh so so we we so what happened was because everybody was doing stuff the first time because the audience was repeating that was where it was like well people are coming back you really can't be repeating yes, stuff yes yes so of course as host that was just like i the i didn't realize like how i don't know it was a little naive and like <laughs> cuz every week i did 20 new minutes every wow. week i did 20 new minutes 20 brilliant Perfect. Every, every, every week. week. Perfect. Every perfect. <laughs> yes, of course. So, and you know, I so, and and one thing that happened was there was a mic in the back of the room, just where the booth was, and what happened was because people were doing new material all the time. Mm-hmm. And they were. I would just naturally go. Oh, but Julia, didn't you say like the thing? Well, that didn't happen. So it, became, it was really conversational. Wow. But then people were like, "Will you? I, I'm going to need a lot of help on the back mic." Right, right. Well, I'm going to need a lot Walk of help me tonight. Walk this. me through this. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm doing. Ask me questions. And then there, you know, a couple people were like just very resistant to ever being spoken wow. to. But some yeah. people were like, "The more, the merrier." Please talk to me all right, night. Right. And you know, depending on the story, so that became sort of a trademark. Hmm. Con- it was. That one thing I like to say, people will say it's confessional. It was more conversational than confessional. Hmm. One of my other, besides the women's building, the other thing I had going in my head was that when I'm on the phone with my funny friends, it's yes. funnier yes. than when I'm seeing them on stage. Yes. It's not that funny when they're on stage. Why is that? <laughs> Why? Because and it was, people are watching, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Maybe it's because they weren't being as authentically themselves. Or there was no air in it. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't conversational. Right. As much as it could have been. Right. So, because they were... Because you know, at the comedy clubs, there's the more or less seven second rhythm rule of laughing. Right. Well, because of that, mm-hmm. the setup right. has to be so short. Because so you're you're required to have setups like I'm so fat, I'm so mad, I'm so you know, right. I, I'm so I'm so I'm single, you know. So yeah. what we're talking about now is so limited. It has to be something you can say in seven seconds. Yeah. What happened at the uncabaret? Because the audience had such a beautiful attention span and was. I mean, partly because they had been delivered the goods so many times uh-huh. that they kept coming back just going like, okay, you know, I'm in. Like, what right. it takes. And I remember nights when Julia comes to mind where, like, the setup was three minutes. Right. You know? Yes. And we always then tried to, at the beginning, you know, once we got it going, three, sometimes it was three people. Sometimes it was five people. Mm. On a special show, we would have more if it was thematic. But people got a long time. I mean, right. there would be, you would have 30-minute sets of new material wow. sometimes. Wow. And so, you know, if the ride's going to be that, it might take three minutes to get it going. Absolutely. And you would think. You would think. Yeah. So that was another thing is about the long setup. And dimensionality, uh-huh. when I, you know, I, I think comedy as a, as a rule tends to flatten things out. Sure. And Absolutely. what we really tried to do was dimensionalize, mm-hmm. have a dimensional experience mm-hmm. for people. Mm-hmm. 
a more emotional experience. Right. So, it, so you mean it, different colors? Yes. And so you could be somebody. I mean, people do do this in comedy. Brilliant comedians do this all the time. But you know, so it's not just about I'm this and that's what my comedy is going to be about. It's, right. I'm complicated. It's more complex. Yeah. I mean, and it's what as storytellers we get to do yeah. because you know I go up there and yeah, part of it's going to be funny, but I'm not going for the funny, and part of it may make you cry, but I'm going to reveal parts of me that are just perfectly lovely and then other parts that really yeah. I uh, hello I'm telling you this because I need to share this with other humans yes. and it, this isn't so pretty and yes. yet it it it's it's if I don't get this off my chest and tell you this uh, you know I, I'll go crazy that's how I am in my show also in my shows that I've done but the uncabaret actually did have a comedy agenda right it was all in the service of comedy right there right. wasn't that much time out I mean everybody's different we had and the other thing is every you know we never had a performer who ever sounded like anyone else that was my I never wanted the audience to leave and go somebody said something about that thing with the clock well and you think about who came out of there I mean you know I'm just thinking about Janine and, mm-hmm. and Margaret and Julie. I mean, just those three ladies right there, yeah. three very unique yes. voices and points of view and and different personal axes to grind in their life and, and with the world. Yes. And, uh, and, and no matter what pain they were talking about, always bringing it to a place of, you know, I've, I've found a way t- to make this funny and to yes. laugh about it. Yes. Um, and I love what you said about the audience because I've had that experience too working at Sit and Spin here in town where when I go there – I'm so excited because they they're so ready to get me. Yeah. They're so their hearts are so open and they're all really amazing smart people in the audience and you know they're going to get it. They're going to sit there and get it for you. And and that's I think that's one of the reasons I always avoided the whole comedy scene myself. Us was, and them. Well, us and them is a very retro grade yeah. kind of approach and I once got a review in the LA Times that said, yes, she was funny, but the audience was on her side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. Sorry it wasn't a fight. We're all getting along here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, that, that is an interesting point. And, and it, it is that thing. Judy of- Toll used to say, mm. uh, and she was a true blue, on, she was an uncovered true believer. Uh, she used to say, it's a comedy of love. Mm-hmm. And if she ever got – this is a sort of – this is very on cabaret. If she would ever get to the show and go, well, it's kind of a light night, not sure if – you know, usually wasn't, but sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. 12 years, some yeah. nights weren't full. Yeah. And um, she oh, good. I like it when there's less people. It's very – it's going to be a great show. Very intimate. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but it always had that because the more like that it is, the more that you're talking to your best friend, mm-hmm. the more – yeah, you know, you you can be, and that that's sort of the on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. One of the things that happens in comedy at the its best is you're talking from an authentic self that is foolish and willing to be authentic and yet not take itself so seriously. And and yeah, God, if well, we could, you know, yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm been working on my own show right now, yes. and I'm tweak- I can't wait to see it. tweaking I'm sorry I it. tweaking the second act, and I'm going to do it here in L.A. again. Good. And I was at a friend's house last week, and he was helping me with it. And he was like, "This one," he's like, "Well, do this one section here," and then and I so so I say it, and then I said, "Well, here's what I really want to say," and then mm. I start to cry, mm. and then four or five sentences come out of my mouth, and he looks at me and he goes, "Well, you're going to write those down, right?" Say that. <laughs> Just say because that. that's all you need to say. <laughs> Just say that, and and it is that. It's you know the clever mind comes in and goes, oh, I'm going to make this. I'm going to have a nice little neat little bow on this section, yeah. and I'm going to let the audience see how intellectually I've integrated all this yeah. painful material about myself in this paragraph and make it really 
oh, and it's going to connect to the theme and everything. It's going to be so beautiful. And yet it's so empty in that moment. And people are going, why is my mind wandering during that paragraph? Yeah. Because I'm not really present. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, when you say that, when you, <laughs> it's, when you can get to that stuff, then to go, this is why we need the recorders recording everything. Absolutely. Because when you go from having said the perfect four sentences to yeah. actually, even 30 seconds later, yeah. your mind is already it's fixing already it. It's already rewriting. It's already rewriting and fixing, and it's so frustrating. And it's always like, write it down, write it down exactly like that. Just don't fix it. No, don't fix it. Make it messy. And, it's okay. And it's the fixing it. You know, I, I think also once you learn to write in your speaking voice, mm-hmm. which is very hard. To, as a writer, I don't know if you find this, but... There's the vo- the written voice for the prose, the writing, the book stuff, yes. the essays, yes. the memoir, blah, blah, blah. Right. Then there's the the writing voice that's for the talking. Right. And to learn how to write – I mean that's the thing, to learn how to write for your talking voice. Yeah, yeah. It's a different thing. It, it is. And I, I found myself in the process of working on this show – uh, this friend who I'd been working with last week, he saw it a month before I went mm. to Montreal and it was much raw and I was just kind of reading off the page and was still really raw with it. And then in Montreal, I had had to shorten it and make it tighter and all of that. So it became a little more presentational. Mm-hmm. And so my job now is really Rough what you're saying. Yeah, just get yeah. back to me telling it from my heart. It's always a pendulum swing. Yeah. The tightening up, the loosening up, the tightening up, the loosening <laughs> up, the tightening up, the loosening well, up. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's true about life too. You know, yeah. it's like we start to loosen up and things get a little sloppy or literally around the house yeah. or yeah. like we was talking to Beth earlier about needing abs. to do my abs. That's, that's my core my, of the creative process my, ab work my core is hell right now people <laughs> and uh, and then you're like okay now we got to tighten things up a little bit get the rows get the taxes in all yeah. that kind of stuff you know it's the yin and yang it absolutely yeah. and with the with, i'm so many different you know at one point with the 100 percent happy 88 percent of the time the um remember at one point it was up to like almost 90 minutes yeah and then i was doing a benefit and it couldn't be and i was like oh i ever got it it's so perfect oh my god i can't lose one sentence and i cut it to i think 65 minutes and then i didn't i only missed then there was like one little chunk that i missed that i had to put back right and then it's that version and then that version expands and you know, one of the beautiful things about a one-person show is that it does have this liveliness where it does keep evolving. I mean, a book, you don't have this yes. possibility. A book, yes. I mean, you go through drafts, but what it is, but it then is. It's, yeah, then then it, it is. Yeah. A one-person show, you know, it, it does keep – you keep you're changing evolving, and yeah. you're evolving and yeah. the spaces you're doing it in changes and – it's a it's a beautiful and exhausting part of, <laughs> and yet for some reason we sign up for it. Yeah, but, uh, tell us a little bit about your show. I'm I'm really I haven't seen it yet, and part of the reason I have not seen it was because I knew this other my show was kind of fomenting in my brain, mm-hmm. and I just can't go and watch other people's work. It's yeah. just impossible for me. I know. You know, I just like I'm sorry, but I just I I will resent you. <laughs> Even though I'll love in you, your truth. I'll love you at the same time, but I will some part of me will resent you going, fuck her. She's already on her feet. She's already doing it and I've got I've got shit to write. Work <laughs> <laughs> You've got a program to work with that, I think. <laughs> I do. I do. Um but I'm the same way. Yeah. I mean it's but it's not just the resentment about it. It's also you don't want somebody's when you're writing, you don't necessarily you don't. want somebody's voice in your head. Yeah, you gotta find your you, way. So it's really important when you're not in that point mm-hmm. to like bulk up on work and see stuff. Yep. Because when you're in that work You can't. You, you really can't go can't near do it. it. You, you can't go, yeah. you can't see, you can't be. So um imagine the best thing you imagined that my show was it, and then it was way better. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, it's it's 
I tackle some of the big ideas that I've been struggling with Mm -hmm. or thinking about. Um, Are they personal? Personal. Right. Oh, the idea is uh, there's – the, the the show is about the relationship between change and happiness. Mm. The sort of central equation is change makes us unhappy mm-hmm. because we cling. Right. But you have to change to be happy right. because life is change. <laughs> yes. So you have to be unhappy to be happy. Right. So that's nice. what the show's about. Nice. And uh, the idea being that I had always thought that the the way it went was sort of unhappy, fine, happy, but that that is the lie of linear thinking. And if you took the two lines of the line, uh-huh. two ends of the line together and meet up top and look at life in its true circular nature, right. you see that unhappy and happy are really close together and fine is all the way down here. Uh-huh. And nice. I come from kind of a long line of finers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can relate. Everything is fine. fine. It's you, fine. fine. No, you really. only know how bad things are by the octave of the fine. Right. It's fine. Really? Really? The dogs. The dogs can only hear when it's bad. So um, it's, it's, so it's about that. On one level, it's about me dealing with becoming somebody who is comfortable with not being fine. Mm-hmm. On, on not, and part of the storytelling of it is uh, <clears throat> I was evicted. Uh-huh. And... Threw off all of my own. I didn't do anything bad. There's no unpaid rent, no meth lab, no brothel, nothing lucrative like that. Damn. Um, but I wanted it to be. It was at the sort of at a bad point in my life anyway, mm-hmm. and so at this point I was like, oh, and I started telling people I was evicted, and they were like, oh my god, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I was like, really? I don't want it to be fine. I want it to be the best thing that ever happened to me. That's what I want. That's exactly what I want. I want that. I want that. How am I going to make that happen? So through that, um, ended up buying a house. And then there's a story of signs and symbols and learning to like nice. follow the signs and symbols cool. and ended up in the desert, buying a house in the desert. And um, having landed there, starting to uh, – then the thing that happens in the desert where your mind is blown by mm-hmm. the galactic universal <laughs> everythingness and the woo-woo line. There, I was, there's, and, a, there's a Jim Morrison lizard there or yeah, something, something somewhere. Yes, yeah, totally. <laughs> and there's this – so there's all that going on and I'm like – the people are giving me crystals to give away and I become crystal bath and there's nice. this whole transformation. And then cool. – but, you know, uh, there's also back pain that I'm trying to heal. Back mm. pain is sort of the spine of the story and ends up being – No pun intended. No. Every pun intended, of course. Of course. <laughs> and um, then the final beat, though, which I think is – and it's not the final beat of the story, but what is important to me is the realization that I am not – the I, it's not just me being evicted, that we're being evicted individually, mm. but also we're being evicted collectively. Yes. And that that's the thing about this story. It's like we're individually being evicted from – Houses and jobs and lifestyles, but right. we're being collectively evicted from the Newtonian network, Newsian, petroleum filling up in Piscean age yes. into the Aquarian quantum field. Right. And it's very uncomfortable. It is. And I'm like, so how do we make the end of the world the best thing that ever happened to us? <laughs> <laughs> this is so great you're saying this because last night I was listening to, I think his name is Irvin or Irwin Laszlo, and he's a systems theorist. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the tipping point. And he's talking about the bifurcation point where you either transform or it all right. dies. You know, and, and here we are. And here we are at the bifurcation point yeah. and thinking, you know, <laughs> you know, and I'm laying in bed. It's like 1 a.m. trying to go to sleep and I'm thinking things like, well, I'm going to tour my show next year in 2012. I hope there's a planet yeah. to still tour it I know. On. I was calling this, you know, 100% happy the 2012 tour question mark. You know? <laughs> it's like... 
And, you know, in 2012, I talk about it in the show. I mean, I talk about all this stuff in the show, this loomingness. I'm going to, like, love your show. This is all stuff I, like, you love. You are. Yeah. yeah. I know. And now you that I've got some, my show going, yeah, now I can you can come. come. Well, we should do a night that's your show and my show, and we can both see each other's show. Exactly. People can have, like, a lot of coffee in between or something. <laughs> Hostess cupcakes something. or something. A lot of sugar and coffee. There's <laughs> a lot going on tonight. <laughs> So yeah, so that's the show, and then there's and there's music, um, which is something. Different. And you're singing, and I'm singing, yes. And how did and that original I, music? Yeah, how did that come about for you singing? You know, there comes a point when you just can't say it. You mm. need more than words. Oh, it's so true. And, and people who hate musical comedy or, or any kind of musicals don't get that. But I love musicals, and it's like at some point you just have to sing it. You have to sing it. So yeah. there's that. I mean, there's also a full. I mean, I know you also have the multimedia thing. I mean, there's mm-hmm. like a there's a whole door-to-door, end-to-end multimedia thing going on right. in this show nice. with graphics and pictures. And so there's all that. And, ooh, I touched the mic. It's okay. <gasps> <laughs> then, um, and then, so the music, I, I, it was the beginning, you know, I've always, one of my, just, everybody has their things. I've just the beginning. I've never been the girl who's like the perfect opening joke. And I've always had to be beginning in reality and the right. beginning. And finally, I was like, I need an opening number. That's what I need. <laughs> I need an opening number. <laughs> and then I wrote uh, – then I and, and I wrote it because this opening number – because I was then – now I'm stranded in the desert. Mm-hmm. Not now. I've moved – you know, I'm back in L.A. But right. I was stranded in the desert and I was doing all this – like what you were saying last night. You're in bed. You're listening to this thing. And it's yeah. like I was just online like reading this crazy shit all the time. <laughs> yes. And and so my friends you – know, I had people coming – huge like showrunners and blah, 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 you know, producers. And I just had this meeting and everybody felt really – really weird and what's going on is it the planets is it the vibration <laughs> tell me what's happening beth is reading the aura and i'm like yeah i'm like it's not just you don't worry it's not just you so i i started so i wrote this it's song about it's not just you there's something really strange going on oh nice and then it was a matter of finding music and then i met a director who does a lot of cabaret and he brought in mitch kaplan and mm-hmm. mitch did originally we just worked on this song which was hadn't even been, really been written that musically it was kind of a song poem opening number-ish thing right and it was right. kind of vine you know <laughs> kind of nuttiness and then Mitch and I started writing songs together mm. for very in, for other places in the show and that really I was like and it just changed the energy so much and I think part of it is vibration I, I had already started to get into sound healing and vibration and mm-hmm. you know there's a thing they say about the human voice which is that the talking voice is yang and the singing voice is yin mm. and of course as women doing comedy you know we're right. women comfortable in our yang <laughs> um, but you know I think at this point in the healing of are, you know, is Earth going to he- Earth right. anagram for heart? You know, right. are we going to get there? Are right. we going to, you know, well, the Earth will be fine, but the people, yeah. it's well, still questionable. There, but, but our energy goes into the Earth, Absolutely. so will yeah. the Earth? I mean, we say that, but will you know? There is a living being that we are. It might not be fine. It might we not. don't know that. That's true. You know, we don't know that the Earth. People always say that. Well, the Earth will be fine, but will it be the humans? Well, the Earth might not be fine, <laughs> and maybe we're doing exactly the right thing, and we're exp- anyway. So. I felt like for me also I'd gotten a place in my own personal journey where I'd just been thinking for so long. I've been trying to figure everything out. 
And one of the places I come to in this show is like, I'm going to stop trying to figure things out and start trying to figure them in. Mm. And I don't always do it, but it is now more of it. You know, I have got, gotten so many like strokings in my life for being smart. Smart right. girl, smart girl. You're yes. so smart. Clever, smart. Oh, clever, smart. Mm-hmm. Ivy League, you know, art, yeah. you know, arty, but smarty, you know, yeah. putting in. And so, of course, you know, and, and for, I'm so uncomfortable in uncertainty mm-hmm. and mystery and, you know, it's part of it was letting go of knowingness and embracing feeling for yeah. me this, at this point in my life. I just don't think the brain is going to tell us everything. Yeah. So it's partly the pineal gland and the intuition and getting in touch with that. Right. And understanding that there's a lot of wisdom in the heart yes. that the, the mind just – the brain mind can't really – the, the right. logical – Yes. Left brain. So big mind. Yeah. So for that was partly the thing. Partly yeah. it was just like, I was just like, I haven't had fun in so long. I've been mm. just working. So I don't know. It's just hard work. Yeah. I've just been working so hard. Th- there's something about that figuring out thing. I mean, even when you were saying it was like, I'm just so tired of figuring it out. I just, my whole body, I could feel myself kind of just want to go, yeah, mm. I'm just, uh, you know, I, I've got that mind thing too. It goes, it goes, it goes. I think, you know, part of my training was being a kid in an adult, you know, role and crazy parents for a few years there. And it's like, oh, I got to figure out how to make it through this. Figure it out, figure it out. Yeah. And now that like the planets in that kind of, now the planets in the, the parental chaos thing, yeah. it's like, we need to figure it out. We need to figure it out. And there's something about trusting this other part of us that, the knowing part yes. that makes might make no sense and might sound crazy. Like I get it. I get sometimes when I talk to people about this and, and you know, I can really relate to what you're talking about, but there's some sort of knowing in it. It's like, well, this other way we're doing it isn't really working. So maybe this is a path, you know, and it's how, how could it hurt to just kind of be in this other space where there's more intuitive work to be done. There's more connection. That's more about, actual relating between people and heart space hello i mean let's try that one out for a while i'm such a hard worker too and i had a a psychic who did soul reading say you know well you're here to play and i'm like no i'm not (laughs) i'm here to work i have a schedule i have a schedule to keep (laughs) you know it's it's interesting i was thinking about this the other day that i used to have such a sense of i'm running out of time i'm running out of time i'm running out of time And I think part of that was because oh, I have so, something to we have to get back to. I have something really to say about that. Well, and I think part of it was that I wasn't really doing my work here. Yeah. I was dancing around it a mm. lot, so it really felt like, well, I'm 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 wasting my time on mm. some level. And now that I'm like more in this space where I'm doing this work, and I have this this radio show, mm-hmm. I have my live show, I'm doing other things, and I feel like I'm expressing myself. Yes. It's fascinating that that TikTok doesn't feel like it's there anymore. Oh, well, you have a lot of other things. You can't hear the clock because... <laughs> well, there's the bigger clock. <laughs> the bigger clock. There's that big earth clock yes, that's going on. That, that, that does worry that's me. part of it. You know, there's this amazing book called um, Time, Space, and Medicine mm-hmm. by uh, Losey, L-O-S-S-E-Y, I think is his last name. And one of the big ideas in it is that contraction of time Mm -hmm. is where pain exists and if you can and actually analgesics and Mm painkillers the physical things that you take what they actually physically do is somehow expand time and that if Hmm. we can learn to expand time that that is where pain relief comes from which takes us right back to comedy because you know the old equation pain plus time yes equals comedy yes so what comedy really does and the healing power of comedy comes from a way of 
expanding time for people. Yeah. The moment of laughter is such a small moment, but it feels like everything is expanding in that moment. It's that eternal moment. So time, we are feeling the contraction of time. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, because with the computers and the things. And And the Twitter and everything, yes. Yes. And because the rate of change is actually accelerating. Yes. It's not just that change is hard, but we are living in a time, you know, the singularity that we're moving towards and the Kurzweil thing. Right. The rate of change is actually accelerating, blah, 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 blah. So we're having to cope with it's always been hard, and now we're living in this time where it's accelerating, right. which changes our relationship to time, which changes our relationship to pain. Right, and our and our brain is is wired to not to to, to want to control this time or to fit into it or to, or to have some sort of a, a very particular kind of relationship yes. with it. And I, I just started meditating again this week because it was like I need to figure something out. I need to get into that big mind yeah. space where there where there is no time. There's also a woman named Jean Houston. I don't know if you're familiar Mm-mm. with her. Amazing teacher. Her father was a comedy writer for people like Chaplin and people oh, like gosh. that. Yeah. And she's, as a little girl, spent time with um, Teilhard de Chardin, who was this amazing thinker, philosopher. So Jean's like a spiritual teacher and a real big thinker. And she talks about this thing called jump time. And she also teaches people how to literally expand time. Oh. You know, like, you, like you'll think, oh, I only have 10 minutes. And we used to do this a lot when I was in grad school. I, I got my master's in Jungian depth psychology. And, and they would say to, say to us, so we have 10 minutes, but we actually have all the time we need. Yes. And the minute you say it like that, we have all the, the time, time we need. Another part of your mind kicks in, mm, and I'm another, writing that down. yeah, and another part of your creativity and your imagination kicks in, which it does have all the time in the world. Because literally, sometimes to find the thing you need, the moment, the word, the the relationship, the break, whatever it is, it only takes a moment. Yeah. It doesn't take any longer. Just takes the perfect moment, and that takes a long time to get to. And, but it takes space to get there. Yeah. You have to create the right space. You have to create the space. And that goes back again to what you were saying about the safe space and feeling like, you know, you have the space to do the work as a creative person. Yeah. You create that safe space for yourself, and where do you feel safe doing it? And I think, again, of Luna Park, where on Cabaret was, Mm -hmm. and... You know, the fact is, in a Jungian sense, you went downstairs into this room. Oh, lovely. And you actually passed this. It, the way it was set up was crazy. You went through a restaurant, and then you faced yourself in this enormous floor-to-ceiling mirror with this giant chandelier. You just ha- had to see yourself. You, wow. I mean, you really, you had to be. It's beautiful. Be, you had to be so, so you, you looked at yourself full on. Yes. And then you turned away from yourself and walked downstairs. Wow. Into this very small kind of circular room that was very low-ceilinged. It was incredible. Oh, boom. Boom. <laughs> a womb let's face it a womb and mm. um and also sort of down in the basement where daddy was upstairs so it was like where the bad <laughs> right. where the kids could go be bad yeah yeah you know? and where and the unconscious could yeah, speak its exactly. mind exactly yeah so i i often think um you know where work happens mm. i actually did it yeah you know did some semiotics and Mm-hmm. Semiotics, which I don't really encourage people. To, if you want to ruin your yes, brain, right. study that. David died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One course I think ruined my life, and um, but I did a paper on thesis or something. On, you know, the, sem- the semiotician, the architecture, and you know the round rooms, and you know the wombness. Nice, and, but it was la- it was that. Yeah, you know it was that, and well, that's that's uh, it's well it's. Uh, uh, young, so would, cre- young would love that. Young would love that. He would. He, he would make him younger. We only have a few minutes. Oh, I know. I'm so sad. I'm living in my sadness now. See? <laughs> 
I always say, you know, in Hollywood, sadness is the verboten emotion. You can tell people you're shooting oh, up or so you can true. tell people anything, you know, you incested or, you know, yeah. whatever, but just don't tell and them. And you can be enraged. Yeah. You oh, can be enraged. Oh, that's encouraged. Yes. Rage is, you know, better You'll go than far. happiness. Yes. <laughs> Rage is where the money is, baby. Get mad. But but uh, just the last few minutes, yes. uh, speaking of safe space, I just want to encourage people to check out uh, the uh, your website and the Young Cabaret website because okay. you teach a class here in L.A. and all in private and Kripalu and, Kripalu and, and all yeah. these different places. I actually don't teach privates, but OK. Well, I think Greg does. <laughs> Greg your does partner. coaching. Yes. Yeah, Greg does coaching. Yes. But I just want to encourage people that if you are in L.A. or if you see Beth teaching anywhere. Yes, and or you, bring me. And bring her to these places because she will create a safe space because I've never done stand-up and I went to your class oh. and said, okay, I'm here's my five minutes. This is what I'm going to talk about. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I felt so safe there and oh. so held. And it was like – and it was great because I, I knew I wasn't ready to pursue it, but mm-hmm. it was like, okay, I did it. And you and Greg looked at me and went, okay, you have a voice. You know how to stand. You know how to talk. You have something to say. That's great. Now it's just a matter of having some stage time and working on it. And I was like, great. I just needed to know that. <laughs> I'll be back in five years <laughs> after I've processed all my daddy stuff. <laughs> right. Well, you're doing your show. I am. I mean, what, I mean do you really want to go? I mean, that's I, what you have to say to people. Like, do you really want to perform in comedy clubs? That's no. not most no. people's goals. No, I do not. Yeah. I do not. No, I don't. But, you know, Rain is doing some stuff. Rain mm-hmm. Pryor is doing some stuff in Baltimore. And she, she says, you know, there's just something about the, the that particular art form. Is she in Baltimore? She is. She's living oh. in Baltimore and she's doing stand-up comedy there. Oh. And she's loving it because it's a safe space for her. She's in Baltimore. I was conceived there. You really? Yeah. I'd like to go there someday. I'd like to go do my show there. You Maybe should. Maybe we should have a festival. We should. She should bring us both. Rain, are Rain. you listening? <laughs> We're coming to see you. you. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to play this last song here. Beth, thank you so much. Oh, Kelly, thanks for having me. It's been we'll a pleasure. We'll have you come back, and uh, and we're going to go see each other's shows. Yes. And we're going to hang out. Other hang shows. Out. You never know where people are going to see us. You never know. We're we, going to be out. We are out and about. We're playing. <laughs> Not figuring it out. No, no more of that because <laughs> with people like Michelle Bachman in the world, can you really figure anything out? No. No, you can't. No. It's a fucking nightmare. Anyway. All right. Okay. So uh, we don't want to so get So BethLapidus.com. I don't know if people yes, know how to spell Beth it. Lapidus, Bethlapidus, B-E-T-H-L-A-P-I-D-E-S. Dot com. Uncabaret. Just Google that stuff. You'll love it. Uh, she's fabulous. Greg is fabulous. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, please follow both of us on Twitter. It's Kelly underscore Carlin. And it's just Beth Lapidus on Twitter. We're both on the Facebook. Uh, I hope you uh, subscribe to my my podcast here on the iTunes also. I please really, do. really appreciate when you do that. It makes me feel like people love me every single week, no matter what. And I just want to put a shout out to uh, Mr. Johnny Dam, who runs the station here. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Yes, thank you, Johnny. And one more song from Admiral Halsey. And you can, and it's spelled H A L S E Y, Admiral Halsey. This is from his new EP called Indian Summer. I think we're going to end on the song called I'm High. <laughs> Have a great week, people. Love you, love you. Kisses, hugs. Mm-hmm.